steel fabrication by its very nature is a very traditional, a very conservative industry. We're one step away from being a blacksmith where, you know, we cut steel, we, we bend steel, we weld steel, not much has changed. And so what I loved was that um, we were one of about 400 steel fabricators in Southeast Queensland. And so to try and be different or to try and separate ourselves from everybody else, you had to do something different. Kia I'm Troy, here as CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today our conversation is with Des Watkins, who is the Managing Director of Watkins Steel. We're excited to speak to him as he has gone through a truly transformative process in his steel fabrication business, developing a four-step end-to-end digital process, utilising 3D scanning, digital twins, augmented reality and automation. This change has allowed him to achieve real-world outcomes that have redefined his business. Not surprisingly, we couldn't resist inviting him to talk today, but also to be a keynote speaker at our Future Forum 2020 Vision Conference next year. He'll also be hosting an exclusive Industry 4.0 Innovation Cluster Workshop during this time. Des, can you tell us a little bit more about your business and the history of Des Watkins Steel? Sure. Uh, Watkins Steel, founded by my father in 1968. So, um, and that's, I suppose, a lot of industries started that way, where a tradesman had a good idea, they bought a ute, they started with a mobile welder, and it's grown from there. But it really wasn't until um, four years, five years ago, um, that things started to change. Troy, we, um, and as you know, steel fabrication by its very nature is a very traditional, a very conservative industry. We're one step away from being a blacksmith, where, you know, we cut steel, we, we bend steel, we weld steel, not much has changed. And so you know, what I loved was that um, we were one of about 400 steel fabricators in Southeast Queensland. And so to try and be different or to try and separate ourselves from everybody else, um, you had to do something different. You had to come up with something different. And everybody talks about service and quality and price. So to be different, you couldn't mention service and quality and price, which really does limit what you can offer. And it really wasn't until um, the management team at Watkins Steel did a design-led innovation workshop we started thinking about customers' pain points and and what the customer was looking for. And I know that sounds like buzzwords, everybody's going to talk about it, but it, it really wasn't until then when we started going down this line of automation and digitalization. So the first line of robotics we put in was commissioned November 2014. And it was uh, really the start of the change for Watkins Steel. The robotics was only as good as the information we were feeding it which meant that we had to upgrade all of our software to, um, to Tecla software, uh, the latest version. But Tecla itself was only as good as the information we're getting from site, which then led us down the path of um, laser scanning and point cloud technology from, from site. But then that was only as good as when you take it to site and put it up, which then got us down to um, a total station set out. But then that was only as good as the story you were trying to sell or the service you were trying to sell your customer, which then led us down to augmented reality and virtual reality. And um, even up until recently, Troy, the, um, the guys have now come up with a new way to convert QR codes from your drawings to show your client through your mobile phone, which is something I'd love to show when I'm in New Zealand. But what I love is just things seem to be changing so fast. So even um, last week, we had three guys in, uh, in Chicago at the, the Fabtech 
conference looking at different hardware. And this week, we got two guys in Las Vegas looking at um, software at the Autodesk Uni. And um, even though they come back with nothing to show, uh, it just means that um, you know, we, we've got the, you know, we're up to date, but they always come back with a new uh, piece of software or hardware or approach or a procedure. So I love that even though what, what I think we're doing is cutting edge, there's just so much more we can do. It's interesting because everything that you're talking about is Industry 4.0 and many people get put off even by the word Industry 0.40. Would you consider yourself a technical person? Like are you typically an early adopter of technology? Like how did you get engaged in this process? Troy, you know the, um, <coughs> the sad truth and appreciate my honesty, I feel completely and utterly redundant when I, when I walk into the um, what we call our Holovision um, side. I don't even know how to turn it on. And um, maybe the biggest obstacle of what can steal is me. Uh, it took two years before we bought our first laser scanner. And my point to the guys was, what do we want to scan size for when I've got a tape measure? That's how we've always done it. And when I, when, you know, I finally relented and we bought a laser scanner, and when I first saw the data that was presented, that's when I realised, just take a step back, you know, it's, <laughs> you're, you're the biggest obstacle here. And uh, so, yeah, it's really been driven by the guys and they've just seen what we can do with it. And it has completely changed our whole business model so much to the extent that with the robotics and the digitalization, we estimate it's taken 3,000 man hours per month out of our factory. And so was that the light bulb moment for you? What did your guys actually have to give you before you were convinced? The, um, I suppose the, the first... Um, uh, comment or, or the first rule that I gave them was that if you can come up with something that'll make us or save us the investment, uh, we get it, period. And you know, what I thought was something simple like a tool or a drill or something, not a $120,000 scanner. But when they presented that argument to me, I couldn't really go back on my word. And uh, But even the, the scanning, um, Troy, the, the hurdles we had to overcome for that, uh, we bought our first laser scanner, but none of our computers were big enough to operate the files. So we had to upgrade all of our computers to Apple Macs with gaming cards and being graphic compliant. But then we didn't have the right version of Tecla software. So we had to, up to upgrade to um, the latest version. But then we didn't have the right software to run it. So we had to get the new software. And then even our server wasn't big enough. So we had to upgrade our server. And just when we thought we had everything noted, it turns out that every 12 months, we've got to send them away to get calibrated. And unfortunately, we can't send it to, um, to Sydney or Melbourne or Auckland. We had to send it to Singapore. And when you send the scanners away, they could tell you anything. You, know, you need a new windshield, a new defibrillator. And all you can say is, yeah, okay. But because we're becoming so reliant on them, we then bought our second one because this one's going to be away for six weeks. And so now we're up to seven scanners and um, we're scanning every day. And that in itself turned out to be a new service. Mm-hmm. And how much of that do you think is a novelty factor from the market perspective versus actually adding value? The um, You know, the first, um, the first time we tried something different, let's just call it Project One, I thought it was a gimmick. I thought it was a novelty. And then they started moving on to Project 2, then Project 3, then Project 4. By the time I got to Project 9, Project 10, they really started commercialising the first project. And they started turning these gimmicks into industry-specific um, examples that were actually giving us value. So now when things like augmented reality or virtual reality uh, start off as being a gimmick, we're getting real traction with our virtual reality. Um, so everybody's used virtual reality for you know killing dragons and shooting people, but... To actually be able to go to site and measure from your office is something that's giving us real value. And I believe that one of the, the biggest opportunities when it comes to things like uh, virtual reality is for tender submissions when we can incorporate animation to show just the sequential construction of a building site. And uh, 
for risk mitigation, clash detection before the builder has even been um, awarded the job. Mm-hmm. And how much training did you as a team have to go through to be able to use all of these new technologies or did you have to recruit new people in? No, look, it's been really good. The um, We've got our, some of our young apprentices on the shop floor, um, some of our tradesmen that uh, have just adapted to it. But the best thing is even our draftees that have learned how to uh, scan, um, it's like self-funding your own R&D. So by scanning all day every day, we'd be going to site anyway to get a measurement so now it's, it's a way that they're developing their own skills. We invest a lot in training. We have a tech the trainer come in once a week. But by the guys who are working together, it's like um, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. They're all learning new skills. And um, they're constantly going on any, any, uh, any study tours they find, any courses that they see, they go to it. So the two guys that come back um, from Las Vegas today, I think they, they leave over there, uh, will hold a workshop with the rest of the guys about what they've learned. And... Um, by always experimenting or trying different things, uh, they're constantly trying to push the boundaries, learning what new macros do, learning what new functions are through the software. And um, it's that element of surprise and delight that just keeps them going. Troy, I love it. I love where it's going. Awesome. And how did you justify the initial investment and is the return on investment um, justifying the ongoing expenditure? Troy, funny one, because what what usually happens is um, you might try four or five different things and three or four of them will be failures. But as long as one of them comes through, and the best thing about it, and I think this would apply to a lot of small fabricators and small companies out there, we've got the flexibility to be able to make those decisions without having to justify to a board or, or get, get permission. So a lot of times it's gut feel. And, and sometimes you think it might be a good idea. We've actually invested in stuff for one application or one purpose, and it turns out that it um, hasn't worked for that. But by pairing the software with something else, um, we actually get more value from it in um, in other areas. So it, it's that constant um, evolution, that constant experimentation and uh, being prepared to fail. And um, the more times we fail, the better we seem to go. Uh, and even even the um, uh, we've put on, um, we've attracted um, other young kids, uh, university students. We've got now a young electronic uh, engineer, a, uh, a young lad who's going for his PhD through CSIRO, that um, giving them... The, um, the scope or the position description to surprise and delight and support and give them whatever hardware they want, whatever software they want. Troy, they're just um, really good young kids that, um, that you know, love the opportunity. And especially in a traditional industry, I think one of the secret sources is you get the traditional trades and the tradesmen downstairs that may have problems or, or, um, or want to have a look at what they're doing and they get their theory and apply it to the trades. That that's where the real magic happens is when you can overcome some of those problems. Have you found that uh, the changes have had an impact on your ability to attract and retain staff compared to your competitors as well? Oh, massively. A lot of people have asked to come here to work. And so we are attracting a lot of um, a lot of staff. And to me, it's really good. Um, I think at the moment we've got uh, somewhere between um, oh, maybe 12 apprentices and a couple of cadet draftees. But even um, showing the young apprentices that there's more to the trade than just you know being a dirty boiler maker, but... Um, um, letting them experiment with some of the software and, and, and play with some of the, um, the smart glasses and things, um, they can see different applications that, that maybe you know, other people can't see. So by even letting them um, experiment with it, uh, it's like um, moving them into the next generation. I think the way that things are, are, um, are progressing, Troy, that um, 
what we might consider to be a uh, bit of a novelty now as an exception might be um, the norm before too long. And um, I love the way that the guys um, try and apply some of the new software um, to reduce man hours on a very traditional task. And uh, yeah, so from that point of view, um, it's I know, it's uh, motivating us to keep pushing it. Mm-hmm. And how are you measuring success? Are you measuring it in terms of terms of financial return or getting new jobs or new customers? How how are you measuring the impact? Um. Well, Troy, good question. I don't know how to answer it except to say um, the best way to measure it is through your own enjoyment. I think through your own staff satisfaction. I think if we're enjoying the journey, and um, I think. Troy, what's happened is probably about four or five years ago, we were going through a pretty dark pace and um, you know, we were losing money, we weren't going well. And I think you almost need to go through a period like that to appreciate the good times. And um, you know, the, the comparison between losing money and making money is you know, light years apart. But at least um, this process that we're doing now where we're attracting new work, um, we're in this period of growth where we've been doubling nearly um, uh, I think now it was doubling every three years, now we've doubled every two years. Uh, it's, um, we can look at it financially and yes, okay, that's that's one measure. Um, staff satisfaction, I think is another way. Um, culture is, um, you know, I, I love the culture, the, the feel of what can steal now. Um, but definitely benchmarking on where we were, I'd, I'd hate to go back to those those dark places. And even the ability to send staff that, that, that may not have the opportunity. One of the young lads we just sent to, um, uh, Las Vegas had to get his passport. He's never been outside of Australia before. Um, to me, I, I love um, that opportunity for the growth of, of individuals, growth of your staff, growth of the company. And um, I think there's two things that we've really got going for us. One is that we've accepted this culture of change. And the second thing is uh, now we've got momentum. And um, you know, I, I'm guarding them pretty pretty carefully and I just want that to continue. I can definitely feel your enthusiasm. What was that journey that you had to undertake to bring the whole team on this change? Was it difficult? What were the challenges in that process? I think initially there was maybe a slightly an element of fear from different components, especially when we put in our first line of robotics and um, they thought, well, this is the step or this is where um, job replacement is going to go. But for every line of robotics that we've put in, we've actually increased our staff by about 10. Um, and rather than somebody have to drill 5,000 holes or even some of those more um, uh, menial jobs or tedious jobs that I used to do when I was young, uh, now get done by robotics. And um, there'll always be a need for the trades on the shop floor. Um, some of the skills that we used to have, you may not need anymore. I used to pride myself on how I sharpen a drill bit. We don't need to sharpen them anymore. But I'm sure that there were trades people who used to pride themselves on how that horse to shoot, but you don't need that anymore. The um, And... We're constantly looking at new lines of robotics. We've got a new line of robotics that gets commissioned in our new factory in January. And what we are doing is trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle together to get ready for the robotic welders that we're looking at to put in in maybe two to three years' time. So rather than um, worry about or the fear of their jobs getting replaced, I think they can see the opportunities and becoming more competitive. I'm, I'm not too sure what the market's like in New Zealand, but in Australia at the moment, there's over 600,000 tonnes of imported structural steel every year. By incorporating robotics, uh, we believe that we'll be very competitive in that market where some of that could start coming back um, onshore. And even now, 
we're doing um, caravan chassis for a company that we're getting them done in China. So with the robotics and with automation, um, we are starting to bring more work back onshore and uh, our staff is growing. And um, regardless of the, the fear of their losing their jobs, when they can see some of their, their, their work colleagues and when they can see you know, some of the young cadets with the opportunity to go to Europe or, um, or go to um, Asia or even go to America, um, I think they can see that there's something pretty good that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And what about your customers' response? So you've mentioned a few new businesses that um, you've been able to bring on board that may have used prefabricated items op- from offshore. How, how is the customer actually perceiving what can steal in a different way? Oh, true. Look, I think the customer uptake has been quite slow. There's been some customers that have really embraced it. And I think it's you make it to that critical mass when more and more people do it uh, is when um, it will become mainstream. Um, some people would still see it as a bit of a gimmick. Um, other people see the value in it. Um, but I think that the, some of the stuff that we're doing now might be considered to be a gimmick. But that same stuff that was a gimmick two years ago is starting to become more and more accepted. So, and I think that the, uh, the curve or the acceptance is going to start increasing as well. But even something as simple as Tekla software, which operates our robotics, and Tekla, and I'm, I'm um, sure it's, it's widespread in New Zealand, um, that's got the ability to run any CNC machine. So once a steel fabricator or once a drafting company details more things in Tekla, you'll be able to operate any CNC machine without that need for human input. So you're going to be going across different trades. So by doing that, especially from a point cloud or from the laser scanning, your programs can be reduced by weeks, even months. And so if that's the case, if one builder doesn't accept it, chances are their competitors will. So it will become more accepted. But that uh, that position description that we've given to some of our young guys about surprising and delighting, the um, when you can show a customer their job before they even start and you can walk through it and uh, they can actually see it, see what it's going to look like, see the tree branches that need to be cut down or how much cut and fill, it's something that they've never had before. Uh, we have one jobs based on that technology when the technology's got nothing to do with the steel fabrication, but they've just been wrapped up in it and they can see it and they can see where it's going. And uh, even I look at where they are now and think, well, surely it can't go much further. And just when I think that, the guys come up with something else. And so even though I'm going to be in Auckland in February, Troy, I'm really excited by something that's going to be different between now and then and what we can bring. Awesome. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, In terms of your initial, um, the starting phases of the journey, how reliant were you on the suppliers for advice or did you have your own ability in-house to actually assess what your next investment should be or were you getting advice really from the suppliers? Um, I think that um, I learned a hard lesson. I think it was back in 2016. I had two guys over at a uh, Trimble conference in um, in the United States, and uh, they saw the Hololens for the first time. And Troy, we got sold the dump. Yeah, you know, oh, these things you can pull up websites and facial recognition. So we ended up buying a couple of pair, and we couldn't do zip with them when we got them back here. But when the guys were playing with them, they incorporate other software in it. We found so many other different applications for it. What we're finding is that whether they be you know, VR glasses, um, smart glasses like the, the Vuzix and things like that, um, they're actually uh, produced or they're made with a certain concept or, or, or something in mind, not for a traditional 
steel fabrication or even for the manufacturing or construction industry. But by applying different software to it and even letting the guys ex experiment with it, what we are finding is, is other ways that we can use it that may give value in certain areas. And that's why I love different people coming to Watkins Steel. They've, they've seen different software and they thought, hey, really, you could use it to do this, couldn't you? I said, well, you haven't really thought of it that way. So I don't think it's really the suppliers that we're getting the information from. It's more the uh, the customer. It's um, more of the workshops, that the hackathons that we have here. And the experimentation was trying to get different value. And I suppose it always comes down to the point of um, trying to identify the customer pain points and how can you make those pain points go away. Des, speaking with you, you're so passionate about this. I can't ever imagine you <laughs> not being supportive. How, you know, in terms of a personal journey for you um, as a leader, what's gone on there to take you from being a skeptic basically to an evangelical industry 4.0 person? Um, I, I tell you what, I try, I think it goes back to just loving the journey. And um, you always hear these buzzwords. And I've been to so many conferences and courses and, and seminars and they talk about, they, they bang on, sorry, I shouldn't be so critical about it, but they bang on about industry 4.0 and the internet of things and artificial intelligence and lean manufacturing. And really, if you ask me to define each one, I'd, I'd really struggle. But I suppose it's um, not trying to fit a stereotype or not even trying to adhere to a, a management style or a theory, but um, but enjoying what you're doing and seeing the benefits of it and, and watching the impact uh, is enough motivation to know that it's the right course that we're on. And, um, and what, as I said previously about um, comparing it to where we were and having to compete with every other steel fabricator, how we... You know, you talk about man hours per ton and and price and now we talk about uh, risk mitigation and speed to market and um, when you can get into that uh, situation and what we're trying to refine at the moment is the ability to help a builder win jobs so if you're assisting a, a builder a client a customer to win jobs pretty soon you're going to be in a position where they need you more than you need them and uh, one thing I do bring up occasionally, Troy, is that every now and again, you've got to work for a real prick to appreciate the good ones. And one thing that we're, um, you know, I'm very fortunate, I'm very grateful for, is um, we work for some great customers. And uh, it's nice to be able to give them a, a point of difference and provide them value that they weren't expecting. What words of wisdom would you give to a general manager um, who's, thinking about going through a process of adopting new technologies and automating more? The, um, Troy, you know, the thing is that I don't think I could give any words of wisdom, but I don't think I could give any advice because if any general manager or if any person was listening to this podcast or was going to be going to the conference or even a member of HERA, he's already or he or she's already on the journey of looking to try and improve their own performance uh, or improve their own, um, their own company. And I think that the uh, the first step for what can steal was um, the desire or wanting to improve what we were doing. And um, it was something that was beyond me and, and I couldn't do it myself. That's why I'm so fortunate that uh, the staff that I had, uh, you know, are as, as passionate as, as, um, and um, as eager as, as what, what I was in wanting to either improve themselves or improve the company. And, um, and, and one thing that... Um, you know, I say in the in the presentation is that um, the best resource I can give any of my staff isn't more time or it isn't more computer. The best resource I can give them is a credit card, which is really a metaphor for trust. And uh, you know, it, it really does delight me when I see something they've done that you know they don't need to ask me permission for, 
it goes back to that uh, that mantra of you know if you can if it'll either make us or save us, then it's it's a no-brainer. You get it, and um, we've failed a number of times. But in terms of anybody else wanting to do this journey, uh, I I don't think I can say that this is the correct journey or this is what you need to do. I can think that there's just so many other opportunities out there that we can embrace. You know, whether it be um, additive manufacturing or, or other forms of um, you know, we haven't even touched on drones, and I think drones is another big area that we could uh, move into. Additive manufacturing or 3D printing is another huge area. Um, an area that I want to start mucking around with now is with some sort of like uh, droids or, or, or robotic movements. Um, a couple of the young students we've got here are mechatronic engineers, and I think that's another massive area that um, we could play around in. And it's mixing the the, the, the theories, the, uh, the guys, the academics, the people that have got the knowledge with... Um, uh, the traditional trades where you, you need the traditional trades to say, hey, can you work out a way that I can move that steel from there to there? Or, hey, I've got to do this. Is it, what do you, by getting to work together, you're really pulling the knowledge. And, um, you know, I think we're all blessed with, um, you know, staff that are a lot smarter than what we are. It's um, a different, uh, from different generations and different um, mindsets, they've all got something to offer. Troy, it's, um, as I said, I'm really lucky with the staff that I've got. It's um, they're the ones that are taking this company places. So, on the other side of the equation, there, what advice would you give to, uh, I guess, the people who are trying to convince a conservative or risk-averse general manager or leadership team on how they should actually pitch the idea for this transition to them? I think go and visit other companies. You've, I mean, I've been fortunate to work with some um, companies in New Zealand. Um, the uh, you've got a great company down there, Malcolm, um, in Wellington. I think it's M- MGH, MJH. Malcolm Hammond. Yep, MJH. Um, yep. Yeah, he's a champion. I- I've been lucky enough. He's come here to, to Watkins Steel, and, and I've been fortunate to visit him in um, in New Zealand. But um, between different um, you know different companies you have over there, uh, you've got an incredible talent pool. And I think uh, by uh, attending conferences, of course, I think I looked on. Um, I'm very impressed with Hira. I think. Uh, and as long as this podcast doesn't go to Australia, um, <laughs> you leave the ASI for dead. <laughs> um, I think uh, you know, anybody wanting to to, um, to go to the journey, it's um, even here would have some incredible resources. Uh, the guys that uh, have come back from Chicago visiting Fabtech in America have got a full of different ideas. Um, another area that uh, I think we could really explore in is the whole use of lasers. Um, so in terms of anybody wanting to um, venture into the next field or to push the use of steel over concrete or other traditional methods, um, there are so many resources available to different people. And um, uh, Troy, I, I don't know about yourself, but you know, I used to love going overseas. I know it's almost considered to be a junket, but now I think it's an important education. And I've taken different people over to Europe to visit factories through there. And some things you see, you think, geez, you know, we wouldn't do it that way. And there's other things you, you see and think, wow, you know, we should really try and copy them. Um, everybody's going to do something a little bit different. And I suppose it's how you view it as to whether you take that on yourself or not. You mentioned that uh, this process is uh, is achievable for SMEs. Often SME has a very different meaning in New Zealand to Australia. What size was what can steal at the start of this journey? Back in, um, back in 2012, we had about um, 70 staff, about 80 staff. And we were going through a, a real, real hard time. Um, we reduced it down to about 40 staff. And um, 
the funny thing about it, Troy, was that we, even though we reduced down to 40 staff, our turnover didn't change that much. So um, yeah, we took out nearly $2 million from our wage bill. So uh, we, were, we were turning over at that time, I think we were turning over maybe um, close to 8 or $9 million. Um, we weren't, by any stretch of the imagination, a, a big fabricator and we weren't doing big jobs. We used to rely and pride ourselves on doing a number of small jobs. And um, the initial investment um, for us would have been the start of doing our own um, steel detailing shop drawing. Even to buy a Tecla license, and I don't know what a, a Tecla license is in New Zealand, but a, a primary one in Australia is $25,000 or for a secondary it's about $12,000. You can lease it. You can lease a, a Tecla license. But then I suppose the, the real expense is a uh, drafts person. Um, we've been fortunate to work with some local schools and um, you know, there's some incredibly gifted kids that, that would love the opportunity to do um, drafting or to get a cadetship. So you've always got that opportunity of, of tapping into local local schools or local resources. Uh, in terms of how small the size or, or what size company, um, I don't consider ourselves to be a big company. And um, I think we are growing. But when we started the journey, I definitely would consider us to be a small company. Um, so based on that, I'd like to think that we're, we're, we're proof that that any size company can really do it. Um, and even um, we've started um, scanning for a lot of smaller companies that are starting on the journey themselves. So it's, um, I'd like to think it's available to anyone. You mentioned people um, eyes glossing over uh, when you start talking about these types of things. And we have the same problem. We, we trying to get this transition industry wide, but when you start talking about these things, there's a lot of jargon involved and it sounds quite scary. How do you actually, or what advice would you give to HERA to actually break through that initial resistance to even having the conversation? Um, True, I think you're doing an incredible job now. Like I looked at the, um, I looked at the speakers that you had coming to that conference and um, I wanted to sign up. <laughs> I thought it was incredible. I thought it was great. It, in, in terms of um, uh, how, how to um, get people on this journey, um, I think it's not the journey of digitalization or not the journey that Watkins still did, but I think it's the, the, the journey of change. And um, I think um, the, the biggest trap we can fall into is that one where we've always done it this way, that's the way we're going to do it. Um, and people, you know, another, another buzzword is disruption and how you, you've got to be the disruptor or be disrupted yourself. But um, I, I think that uh, the ability to want to improve or, and I suppose our, our improvement or our change wanted to come from uh, being different to other people. And so rather than talk about man hours per tonne and do things quicker and cheaper and faster, was uh, provide different value. Um, and I think there's so many different value streams you can offer what we're doing is just one. And um, I'm sure that there are every, you know, almost every one of your members do things differently to, to what you know, each other's does that, that, um, that they could really um, surprise and delight their customers with um, providing something that they're not expecting. I am so excited to have you coming to our workshop and conference. Des, can you give us an overview of what you're planning to discuss at the workshop and the conference separately? The, um, so the workshop, I believe, is going to be a bit more smaller and a bit more intimate affair. And so happy to talk more about um, the, uh, the financial impact, um, the metrics that we were using, 
and even some of the things that we've done to try and be separate. And um, so they're, they're very tangible. Look, we did this, 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 this. And once again, people can um, say, well, God, there's no way I'd do that. Or people might say, well, geez, I'd like to explore it further. And, and happy to give people, um, you know, worksheets and, and anything. So that's the, the workshop. But in terms of the presentation, um, I'd love to show the progression as to where we've gone, starting with um, the robotics and the laser scanning. But uh, Troy, what I even love now is even last week I found out that the guys bought a uh, their fourth set of uh, VR headsets, which is slightly different, and they're all they're all offering something a little bit different. But even recently, um, two Mondays ago, um, one of the young lads we've got here rewrote a code, so they've converted a drawing to a QR code. So now you can view a job on your phone on site in the form of augmented reality, and I I was just amazed by it. So um, what I will do, Troy, is I'll email you through a, a QR code. And you can send it to your members. So they will have to do is hold their camera on their phone over the top. It opens it up. They can spin it around and look at it. But then by pressing a button, they're saying AR, they can look at the AR of it on their phone. Um, so that's now it's you know the end of November. So by February, there's going to be something else. I tell you what, Troy, the good old days are here and now. There are so many opportunities um, presented to um, people, in, in especially in like steel fabrications, my... Um, uh, you know, my life. It's I, I grew up in it and I, I love it. And uh, I'm so excited by where it's going and how fast things are changing. It's I'd like to think that, that steel is driving the manufacturing and construction industry. And with the innovation and with the advancements that steel fabricators are, are making, are pulling the industry along with them. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, just what, what, what can steel, what we're doing is just one strand or one type of what different people can do. And uh, I'm sure that there are other um, fabricators in New Zealand that could um, even even highlight other areas that people can can look at. And as I said, whether it be um, lasers, 3D printing, additive manufacturing, uh, drones, there's so many different areas that, um, yeah, I love it, Troy. I love where it's going. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Des today. If you'd like to connect more with him, you'll find his details in the show notes. This was such an inspiring conversation today. It's clear. Technology is changing the way we work, and perhaps faster than we think. It's the kind of change that all businesses need to adopt if they want to be here in the future. Hi, I'm Brian Lowe, here our Membership Services and Support Manager. What an important message Des brings to us today. Just like Watkins Steel, our industry can also embrace digital technology and processes to enhance all aspects of their business. Des is going to talk more in detail about his steel fabrication business from technology and business perspectives, as he'll be speaking right here in person in Auckland next year. The digital tools he's used and how they've impacted his workflows, timelines, and bottom line. Come and hear more from him by registering to attend our Future Focus Conference called 2020 Vision on the 21st of February 2020. Five thought leaders with powerful messages on digital-powered steel fabrication, future technology you can use now, HR innovation, and much more. Details are in our show notes and the events section of our website, hera.org.nz. That's www.hera.org.nz.